Well, good morning, Active Church. It is so good to see you all this morning. My name is Jessica. I serve on the team here at Active. And if it is your first time with us, thank you so much for coming and hanging with us. Out in the lobby after service, I don't know if you've seen it on your way in, but there's a huge space called Guest Central. We'd love for you to stop by there. Let us know that it's your first time. We have a free gift for you. And we just have some awesome activators who would love to get to know you a little bit. So make sure you stop by there before you leave here today. As Joe was talking about, we are on the last week of our Who Needs God series, and we have a great conversation ahead of us. Easter is right around the corner, what, two weeks away, I think we are? It's going to be incredible. You don't want to miss Easter here at Active. Before we hop into this conversation, uh, let's pray together for a second. Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for this opportunity that we get to be together and to learn together. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, growing up, I was an only child for 16 beautiful years. <laughs> beautiful years, okay? One day, my parents at the age of 40 said, we're having a baby. Okay, <laughs> all right. Gave birth to my beautiful brother, um, Gibby. His name's Gilbert. I call him Gibby. You know, my young adults, you guys know my Carly member? Yeah, I call him Gibby. So he's a cool kid. He's 11 years old now. But let me tell you something about Gibby. When he was toddler age, you know, the cute age, right? Not, not where they're at now, but the cute age. <laughs> he could do no wrong. There's something about those younger siblings that you get. Like, they're just built different, right? Like, he could do no wrong. Listen, if Gibby wanted to eat in his room, oh, go right ahead. Throw out the red carpet for him, right? If he wanted to watch his Fortnite videos at the table, don't worry about it, Gibby. We'll all stay in silence. Eat quietly while you watch your videos. And if he wanted McDonald's after school, hey, we already ordered it for you. It's, it's on the way, right? Listen, maybe you're the older sibling in the room and you're feeling the tension. Like you feel it, it's, it's boiling, right? Like I'm feeling it right now. I always wondered, how was this fair? How was this okay, right? Where was our time to eat in our room? God forbid I was still chewing something and as I walked through the doorway of my bedroom, right? How come I couldn't check my, my MySpace or my Facebook at the table? And how come every single time, come on church, every single time I wanted a snack after school, there was always food at home. Why? Why? How was this right? Gibby could do no wrong. He could do no wrong. Where was my, my justice in all of this? And as funny as it is, right, with God, it can kind of feel this way as well. We have these moments in our lives, these moments around the world where we ask ourselves, where is the justice? Why does a good God allow horrible things to happen? And I think this is the point where we, we might kind of mess ourselves up a little bit because we believed this narrative about God for so long. So I wanna play a quick game with you, okay? I'm gonna say a phrase and I want you to repeat what you think is the correct response to this phrase, okay? Be confident with it, say it with your chest, all right? When I, when I say this phrase, I want you to repeat it, okay? Here we go, ready? No answers wrong, possibly, here we go. God is good. And all the time. There we go. Good job. You guys passed. Good job. Give yourself a round of applause. Good job. Good job. Listen, in life, 
We, we've heard this phrase, maybe you grew up around this. I grew up around this conversation of faith. But what do we do when life doesn't always feel so great? When the God that we've known to be good all the time, because all the time he is good, doesn't always feel like he's doing his job. Here's something that I've been wrestling through. And maybe we can wrestle through this together this morning. There's these two phrases that I've been thinking through. If God could then he would. If God could, then he would. Let's take it a step further, okay? In these moments, when these are the questions that are swirling in my mind, this is now the tension that I ride. God either lacks good, and sometimes it feels like he even lacks could. And what, what do we do with that? What do I do with that, right? What do we do when the good God that we know just doesn't feel so good? When it feels like God's not in any of this, right? Not in any of my personal injustice or the outward injustice. And sometimes it feels as simple as this. Listen, the other day, I really believe that God should have known that I really needed my Starbucks, okay? I really needed it. I really needed my iced chai, sugar-free vanilla with oat milk, okay? I really needed that, all right? That's my order in case you want to bring it next Sunday, okay? So, (laughs) but you know what happened? I get in my car, and there goes my iced chai with sugar-free vanilla and oat milk all over the passenger seat of my car. All my work stuff covered in it. My backpack covered in it. Just got the car washed. God should have known that I needed that Starbucks. That overpriced drink was all over my car at the end of the day. I should have expected God to make things right. <laughs> Sometimes it's as simple as that. And I think we can all agree that we would like to rid the world of all injustice. But is it your justice or is it mine? So the question today is, who defines justice? You're going to hear me use this word a ton today, like a ton, okay? And this is what I mean when I say the word justice, something that is right, things that are fair, and things that are right. Friends, injustice and suffering in the world, it's not an argument for or against God's existence. But what it actually is, it's a reminder that we really, really need God. We really, really need him. Because there's actually no rational argument against the existence or involvement of the God of Jesus based, based on injustice in the world. It's an emotional argument. And when you hear it, You get it, right? How could a good God allow this to happen? How could a just God allow this to happen? And I believe that all of us carry enough empathy to be able to step into someone's questions or pain. But if we took just a step forward, a step forward past the emotion, a step forward past the incident, there's actually no argument to be made against the existence of God that Jesus presents. And here's why. See, Christians, we've never made an argument for God's existence based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. I'm going to give you some two, two examples, okay? For example, a good God, good God would never, he would not allow bad things to happen to good people, right? So since bad things never happen to good people, there must be a good God. Friends, No one has ever made that argument. 
Second example, a just God, a just God would never, he would never, ever, ever let injustice happen to good people. And that is why, point proven, there is a just God. Friends, no one has ever made that argument. No one. So this idea of throwing all the injustice, of gathering it all up and, and throwing it into God's face to say, hey, this is how, this is why you don't exist. It just doesn't hold up. It's emotional. It's powerful. It's moving. But it's not rational. Injustice in the world, it calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. This is a huge deal. This is a huge deal, okay? Because you know and I know that there is injustice in the world, right? And Christians, we claim to, to worship a good and holy and right God who's all about good, who's all about love. But the fact is, is there is injustice in the world. There still is pain and suffering in the world, in our worlds. But we know that it calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. And so the big question that I've been asking myself and, and that I've been feeling the tension with, and we're walking through this together, so this is it. Why do we assume if there is God, then God must be good and he must be just? So like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in church. I grew up around this faith conversation, knowing that God was good all the time and all the time God was good, right? But just like you, there's been moments in my life where I've realized things weren't so good and things won't always be so good. Maybe I've said things like, God, look at all this pain and suffering in my world and in the world around me. Like, this, this can't be you. Like, what's happening? Where are you? But there's a preset position there. Because if there is a good, if there's God, then he must be good and he must be just, right? And since bad things happen and unjust things happen, there must not be God, or God's just not doing his job. Friends, where do we get this idea? Where do we get this idea in the first place that God must be good and he must be just? Because isn't it true, if we are trying to leverage the goodness and justice to argue against God or to make an accusation against him, it's to say that he is good and that he is just. But says who? Who said that? Did you make it up? Did I make it up? Where did that come from? This is a question that's caused a lot of tension within me. And maybe you're feeling that, like, what's happening here today? Like, I'm, I feel you with that. Like, there's this tension that I ride because why do we assume that if there is God, he must be good and he must be just? The answer is, is someone told us. Someone told us that. And that's why we believe it, right? That's why when you hear the phrase, God is good, you repeat it all the time because you remember that maybe when you were a child or you heard it through some VeggieTale movies or you heard, it, you heard it in a song somewhere, right? You know it because someone told you that. Maybe before you ate, you would say things like, God is good, God is great, thank you for our food, amen. It doesn't rhyme, right? It doesn't make any sense. We just said it. Maybe we still say, like, I still say something like that before I eat, and I don't even know what I'm saying. Like, I'm just trying to rush so I can eat my chicken tenders. Like, sometimes we just say it because someone told us that. But the next question that I think about is for this person who told us that God is good and God is just, where did they get that from? See, this is big because I know for a fact they didn't get it by observing nature because nature isn't always good. It's not always just. It's not always fair. 
I'm sure there's some people in this room who've had vacations planned or birthday parties outside where you had to cancel because it was 90 degrees the day before and then the next day it's thunderstorms and snowing, right? Like it's not always good, it's not always just, it's not always fair. They didn't get it from observing the ancient gods because the people back then, they believed in the ancient gods because of evil and injustice in the world. And what ended up happening is they wanted to figure out a solution to this and they ended up blaming the ancient gods for it. So I know they didn't get it from there. Friends, if you've been struggling with this conversation of faith because of pain, because of injustice, and I'm sure if I heard your story, I would say, who could blame you, right? Like, I'm not blaming you either. But I want you to take a second. Take a second today, consider that maybe, maybe just maybe, you stepped away unnecessarily. And here's why. Because the justice and dignity for all version of God was introduced by the person and work of Jesus himself. See, before Jesus, there were local gods who loved the local people, right? And they didn't just love them, they protected them because if the people made the right sacrifices, then they would do something for them, right? So until Jesus made his appearance on the world, there was no concept of a God who loved everybody on the planet. So while Jesus was here, he was around a group of people called the disciples, right? And in that group of people, there was a man named John. And so John actually records his time with Jesus in his letter. And it's one of the probably the most quoted scriptures of the Bible. But it's in John 3, 16 here. He's, he tells him, he, he begins to write, for God so loved the... And I think John paused there before he wrote down world. And, and maybe because of what was happening in that time, he says... Maybe God just loves the Jewish people. Maybe God just loves these people. But I think John began to recall his time with Jesus and he said to himself, you know, I realize that Jesus' love is so much bigger than just one group of people, but God so loved the world. And so he recorded that in his letter. See, it's Jesus, Jesus who brought this idea to us through the story that he told while he was here on earth, through who he talked through, through who and how he lived so whoever told you that God is good and just, it's not an original thought from them because it came from Jesus. So here's what's so amazing. It's the justice and dignity for all that was introduced in a time where there was neither justice nor dignity for anyone. When Jesus stepped onto the scene, this is how life was. The rich ruled over the poor the powerful ruled over the non-powerful. If you had gold, then you were able to make the rules. There was no dignity. Women had no place in society. Children were not even named sometimes because they were nervous that they wouldn't even be able to live. In a world by our own standards, there was no dignity. There was no fairness. There was no justice. But into that world stepped Jesus himself who claimed that every single person has dignity and that God loved every single person in the world. That's, that's incredible, right? You think, wow, that's a great, great message, Jess. Amazing. Let's wrap this thing up. It's time for some country fried steak and eggs and some biscuits and gravy, right? Like, we're good. But wait, it gets better. It gets so much better. It gets so much better than that. You thought that was amazing? See, the Jesus' first century followers who were persecuted for what they believed in, who were treated incredibly unjust, those people, they embraced a God who was good and just, 
in a culture that was characterized by injustice. So if this Christian God was so fragile as to be able to be argued out of existence based on injustice, he would have never made it out of the first century. So John continues to write his letter, and after his many years and time with Jesus, he writes these words found in John chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So why do we love one another? Because it's a civil thing to do. It's a nice thing to do. It makes you feel good inside. You can sleep well at night. The people back then, when this was being written, they didn't think that. Matter of fact, this is what it kind of sounded like. What do you mean love comes from God? You mean the gods, the gods that we've created to protect us? No, 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 no. Here's what I mean. It means that love finds its source in God. Love finds its source in God. And this statement, this scripture, it was a stop the show. What are you talking about? Are you crazy moment? Like, what are you saying? And to top it off, when John was writing this letter, this was during a time where his life was at risk where his friends and the people around him were treated so unjustly. But yet he writes, love one another. Love, love is from God. So whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. These words were written during a time where John was feeling the pressure of injustice. Yet through the person and work of Jesus, those were the words that he wrote. You were brought up being taught that God is a loving God. It's, that's not an original thought from you. It's not an original thought from the person who told you. Because this concept, this concept was introduced into the world at a time of extraordinary injustice by Jesus. He brings us this message. So this is where the God of love came from. As well as our basis of Jesus, our basis of justice is that every single person has inherent dignity. But this isn't natural, right? Like if we exclude God from this conversation and just go with what is natural to you and I, we don't arrive here. We don't arrive at this, at this solution. Matter of fact, the best way to rid the world of injustice is to rid the world of God. Because God, when God is gone, when he leaves the scene, injustice leaves with him. If we could just get rid of God, this haunting sense of right and wrong, just and unjust, what is fair and unfair. If we could just get rid of him, all of that would walk out the door with God. And what we would be left with is nature, which knows neither just or injustice. Friends, once there is no objective standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. And what we're left with when we have no objective standard for justice, we're left with my justice and, and yours. And you can't tell me what's right or what's wrong because you have your justice and I have mine. And, and neither of us could be right or neither of us can be wrong. We have nothing and no one to appeal to when God walks out the door. So when we reject God because of injustice in the world, we don't actually solve injustice, but we lose the definition. 
When we, like, when we reject God and say, we don't want you because of the injustice and suffering, the pain that I'm feeling, we're not, we're not solving the problem. We lose the definition of what justice is. When we reject him because we don't feel like he's doing his job. When things aren't going right. Come on, I've been there. I've, I've felt this. This is why this conversation has so much tension within me. Because when things aren't right, when we want to ball up our frustrations and build a case against God, we don't solve the issue. We don't heal the pain. But we lose the definition of what justice is. So what does the God of Jesus say about all this? If he really is loving and he loves everyone and he's concerned about all the injustice in the world, does the God of Jesus address this? Does he have a solution? Sure does. <laughs> if we were to say, God, we don't want you to leave. Because I know when you leave, you take justice and injustice with you. And, and reality is, God, we really do need some sort of outside of me standard to appeal to. So we still need you. But there's still pain. There's still suffering in this world. But here's the deal. Here's the solu there, there's a solution to the pain and suffering. Okay? Jesus brought us God is love. But friends, that's not all he brought us. We love this part. But this is not all he said. Jesus, who said that, also taught us that God is just. And here's the part that might make us squirm in our seats a little. It makes my skin crawl a little when I hear it. But Jesus could not have been more clear. Matter of fact, in the future, this will be the very thing that we, we accuse God of neglecting, which is justice for all. Friends, there is no justice without judgment. These two have to coexist. They have to coexist. And this is when we want to be like, oh, I'm checked out. We're out of here. <laughs> Judgmental God, we're out. I can't do this. We, we're not talking about this today. We resist it because in my heart and in your heart, we know we've fallen short. This exposes my hypocrisy within me. I want justice for you, but I want mercy for me. This part makes me a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little nervous because as soon as he introduced this idea that God is a God that has to bring judgment because justice requires judgment, they have to coexist. This is why, this right here is why the gospel is the perfect narrative for this, okay? This is why the gospel survived the first, second, and third century. This is why when you look, you look up, you're like, who made this up? Like, how could this be possible? This is when the story of the gospel becomes so outstanding, so powerful, and so overwhelming that it changes the narrative that we might have been afraid of for our whole lives. Because when God saw the state of the world that he created, when he saw that our freedom took us in a direction that he suspected it would, that it would take us, when he saw that we've fallen short, even fallen short of our own standards, hear me, hear me when I say this. Into that world where we've fallen short, God did not send a judge. But friends, he sent a savior. God didn't send a judge into this world. He sent a savior into this world. And this is why the gospel is the perfect narrative for this conversation. Because when we think we have to run from God, he opens the door and says, no, 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 honey, this is the truth of what I'm talking about. I didn't send a judge, but I sent a savior. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 47. He says, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. 
I didn't come to judge the world, even if it's full of evil, but I came to save the world. So if you've struggled with this faith conversation, I want you to consider this one thing because I know that you want a standard of justice, but let me tell you something. No one gave it to us the way Jesus gave it to us. And this is the power of the gospel. In its infinite mercy, before he chose to judge, he promised a way to save. While Jesus was here on this earth, he told a lot of parables, and a lot of them had to do with the kingdom of God. And what parables are, are these stories that he would talk about to help him get to his point. And he snuck this one in, found in Luke 18, verses 2 to 7. I'm going to read you this story. There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor feared people or cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in my dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Friends, if you feel put off by Jesus, he, he knows that at times that we're going to feel this way. And so he continues in verse 8 and he says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? This is a question for you and, and this is a question for me. Will he find men and women who like the first century Christians that said, hey, we're not getting justice in this life, but man, do we sure love the God of justice. Will he find faithfulness on the earth? See, if we reject the God of Jesus, we reject the basis for justice, the basis for human dignity. And what we're left with is biology. And biology will never bring you dignity. But what it does allow you to do, it allows you to seek justice the way you want to seek justice. And if you embrace Jesus, if you embrace Jesus, you get dignity now and you get justice later. So if anyone, if anyone had a reason to be mad at God, if anyone had a reason to feel like they should be angry with him, it was Jesus himself. Because the man who taught us that all people have value and are worth dying for was executed by those that he loved the most. Let's think about that for a second. He was killed. He was killed by the very people he loved and seen so much worth in. He was executed by the very people that he came to give his life for. The man whose definition of good and just, which informs your definition of good and just, was treated unjustly. Evil and injustice are not arguments against the existence of God, but they are evidence. They are evidence that we desperately, desperately need God. We need grace. We need mercy, right? Isn't this true? Like when you hear about pain and suffering in the world, there's something that in you that longs, that longs for justice. Maybe there's an ache in your belly where, where you feel like, man, man, not again, not again. Evil and injustice caused us for, to long for something that can only be attainable, that one day that God would provide. So back to that question in the beginning. What do we do when we know God to be good and just, but he just doesn't always feel that way? So there was a, a time where a man named Peter, who was also one of the close followers of Jesus, one of the disciples, he 
He was one of Jesus' friends, followed him around. He, he didn't feel so confident about Jesus. Matter of fact, Peter's actually known in the Bible for denying Jesus three times. And even though he walked alongside of him, he witnessed the miracles happen before his own eyes. He was a part of these signs and wonders. He walked away. But the story didn't end there because Peter came back to Jesus. And when he came back, he writes these words about the God that Jesus presents. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. The scripture, the scripture doesn't talk about justice or righteousness or, or fairness, but it talks about the God that Jesus presents to you and to me. This invitation to take all the injustice, all the pain and suffering, and not to stack a case against God, not to prove this is why, but to lay it in front of him. An invitation to free our hands and to empty our hearts, to let Jesus be the savior that he came here to be. Peter denied Jesus, but Jesus never denied Peter. So it inspired him and it changed Peter's story forever. So today, may we take a step towards Jesus and to proclaim this. God, I know that you're good, but now I wanna believe that you're good. God, I know that you're good, but now I want to believe that you are good. A step that is honest with God about where the condition of our hearts are God, I know that you are good, but now I need to believe that you are good for my life, for my family, for my faith in you. I want to believe now that you are good. Friends, did you stand to your feet with me today? Today, let's put the stake in the ground and proclaim this together. As we wrap up, I'm going to pray. And, and if you feel comfortable to stretch your hands out as a sign of surrender to God, and maybe as we begin to pray, you take that step forward and be honest with God, being honest with the condition of your heart. God, there's been pain and suffering that I'm walking through. There's things that I've been angry about. There's things that I just can't shake. There's these questions that I'm scared to ask. Would you cast your cares to God because he cares? For you, would you lay those in your hands today? And as we, we enter into a time of worship and sing some more songs together, would you begin, maybe, maybe you take the step and whisper those things to God. Maybe you say them as you're singing and you cast them, cast them over to God. Give them over to your Father who's here, who loves you, who cares for you, who didn't send a judge because of the things that we messed up with, but sent a Savior to the world. Would you cast them to God? He cares for you. He didn't send a judge, but he sent a savior. And today, today we know that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But today, may we take a step to actually believe that. And so as I pray, I want to encourage you, if you feel comfortable, stretch out those hands. Cast those things to God. And as I pray, say it in a whisper. Say it in your head, but give them to God for he cares for you. Jesus, Jesus, thank you so much 
Thank you for the life that you've given us, God. Thank you for the justice that you've given us. God, thank you for the mercy that you pour out to us so freely. And so God, as we stretch our hands forward, as our hands are open to you, God, we ask that you would take those things that we've been carrying, that you would give us space to pour our heart to you, God. Lord, we thank you that you didn't send a judge into this world, God, but you sent a savior. And so God, today we take the steps forward, not to just know that you're good, not to just know the stories about you, God, but to today to believe that you are good in our lives, God. So the things that we've been carrying, the things that have been in our hearts, God, we cast them to you, Jesus. And Lord, we know that you care for us, that you trust us, God. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for bringing a savior and not a judge. Today we choose to say, we believe that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.